Well, before we kick it off, um, maybe quick introductions. My name is Stefan Heller. I'm one of the founding partners of AlphaQ Venture Capital. I was a founder and serial entrepreneur before. Uh, me and my partners, we started to invest a lot into startups directly as angels. We realized angel investing doesn't really scale. Um, and so we, for us personally, we wanted to have a more scalable way to invest into venture capital. And so we uh, built a semi-liquid fund of VC fund. So you can think of it like in sort of ETF for venture capital in the vision, right? Today, it's not yet uh, fully listed or fully liquid, but it's a stock corporation offering investors very easy access to venture capital, um, especially early stage funds. We invest in emerging managers and established managers and investors uh, can get dividend returns, but can also, if they are not happy with the performance or if they want to uh, allocate their assets slightly differently, they can easily sell their shares. Um, and with me today is our esteemed colleague uh, and VP of investments, Amir. Um, Amir has been with us for almost a year now. Um, so uh, uh, almost yeah, uh, the OG, let's say, yeah, in, in our short company history. Um, and Amir was before us for eight years or over eight years at Vintage Investment Partners, one of Israel's largest uh, VC fund of funds, uh, is an extremely experienced fund of fund investor and uh, not just a, a great investor, but also a great colleague who is uh, for us internally doing always great analysis on the current state of the market, looking at not just the VC funds and what we see is that are, developing, are the developments there, but also the developments in the LP ecosystem. And so every quarter we are hosting these, these updates uh, to, to get a little bit, take out the crystal ball, look into the future, but also look at the past couple of months and quarters and how the VC ecosystem has developed. So um, Amir, anything else you want to mention, maybe apart from your successful move to your permanent residence in Munich? <laughs> Uh, thank you, Stefan, uh, for the very generous um, introduction. Thank you, everybody that is joining us today. Um, I think we can kick it off and start uh, the presentation. If, uh, Stefan, uh, you can either allow me to share or share the presentation that I just sent you. Yes. Uh, that'll be very helpful. Give me one second. Sorry, now you should be able to share. Um, sorry for that. Let me try to do this. No worries. Yes. Okay, do you see my screen? Yes. Let me just go into sharing mode, presentation modes. Amir, you're on mute. So I've just so yeah, also just, just to... to uh, yeah, now, okay, now we got it. Yeah, perfect. So I just also enabled the chat. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't enabled before. 
Um, so it should work for everybody to ask their questions in the chat. Um, thanks a lot, Amir, please go ahead. Perfect. Yes, let's kick it off. Okay, hello everyone. As I mentioned, uh, my name is Amir Awadi and I'm VP of Investments at Alpha Q Venture Capital. Uh, today we're gonna go through some of the updates and observation that, uh, observations that we've been seeing uh, during Q4 and across uh, the full 2022. I'm gonna start with a high level on some of the observations and then um, <clears throat> we're gonna uh, do a little bit of a deep dive into um, some of them. So in terms of uh, overall, 2022 was a very good um, year for VC and we will go into the uh, reasons in a second, but um, in terms of uh, investing activity, we continue to see funding volumes fall for the fourth consecutive quarter. However, 2022 in total still exceeded 2020. Um, in terms of valuations, while we have previously expected to see the decrease in late stage valuations trickle down to the seed stage, the data actually showed a slightly different uh, picture, which we will touch on in a second. Um, in terms of VC fundraising, the quarterly downward trend we witnessed from uh, <clears throat> Q1, sorry, to Q3 of 2022 continues into Q4, um, which accounted to only 6% of the total fundraising throughout the year, with um, uh, where we're seeing allocators shifting their capital from emerging to more established managers. And looking at the dry powder, uh, it has actually reached new record high as VCs continue to deploy slower than they raise. And then finally, uh, when looking at the exit markets, uh, we see uh, that the M&A activity started rebound as we had predicted in our previous webinar. Now, slightly diving deeper into each of the, uh, sorry, let me go, uh, yes, slide. Um, diving a bit deeper into each of the sectors. So as I mentioned, overall 2021 was a very good year for VC. If you look closely at the total numbers in 2022, most market indicators, while lower than 2021, which we all agree was an abnormal year, were still higher than the prior years. With funds raising a, to a total of four, uh, 415 billion US dollars throughout the year versus 615 in 2021 and 297 in 2020. However, it is very crucial to examine the quarterly trend, which, as you can see in the chart, indicates a sharp decline in funding activity between, between the first and last quarters of 2022, as we had predicted previously. This begs the question whether this drop in activity is merely the after effects of 2021, or will this trend continue into 2023 and maybe even 2024, or in other words, is the VC industry facing a long-needed reshuffle? We think that 2023 won't hold any major surprises for the, for the VC industry and that VC managers will continue to be careful in deploying their capital as they assess their LP's appetite for their future fundraising cycles. Now, if we um, zoom, in, zoom in on Europe, as you can see on the chart on the left-hand side, funding in Europe has not dropped as sharply as in the rest of the world. Now, this is mainly due to the fact that 2021 did not have as much of a positive impact on the European VC ecosystem as it did, for example, on the US ecosystem. Overall, we are very pleased to see lower funding volatility in Europe, indicating a much more stable ecosystem. Moreover, if you look at the chart on the right-hand side, comparing Europe to the remaining major markets, US and Asia, Europe has actually gained share in funding volume 
standing at 24% compared to 35% and 33% for US and Asia, respectively. Now, taking a closer look at valuations, while we were expecting to see the decrease in late stage valuations trickle down to earlier stage in Q4, <clears throat> the data is actually showing a different picture. Starting with looking at late stage, we can actually see a slight increase in the medium pre-money valuation, a roughly 10% increase from 55 million US dollars in Q3 to 60 US million dollars in Q4. Now, when taking a look, a look uh, at early stage valuations, we can see that uh, the medium pre-money valuation went down a little over 10% from 45 million uh, US dollars in Q3 to 40 million dollars in Q4, and are now at late 2020 or early 2021 levels. But what's mostly interesting, however, is zooming in on the seed stage valuations. We can see that there are actually a slight upwards trend in the medium pre-money valuation during 2022 which can be mainly attributed to a few things. First, many of the micro funds that have emerged in the last couple of years are actually focused on seed stage, increasing the amount of funds investing at the seed stage and increasing the competition. <clears throat> Second, given that seed stage is furthest from the exit events, and given the uh, recent downturn in the public markets, many of the established funds are actually shifting their focus to seed, allowing for more buffer time until the exit windows reopen. And third, with VCs deploying more carefully, most of the deals that are being done are, are the higher valuations, uh, sorry, are the higher quality ones or the ones with more traction <clears throat> justifying the higher valuations. Now, all of the above factors and also keeping in mind that the data only counts closed deals, which have decreased significantly in count are leading to the slight increase we are seeing in median stage, uh, uh, in median seed stage valuations uh, especially at the earlier st stages. What should also be mentioned, and that is not captured uh, by the data, is that first, this doesn't take into account deal terms. And while valuations may have gone up a bit or stayed on the same level, rounds now have less favorable terms for founders when it comes to liquidation preferences and so on. Second, valuations are currently very much sector dependent, um, just as they have been in the last couple of years. And in some sectors, what we're seeing, for example, is like, <clears throat> is that in AI, we're seeing um, high valuations as high as in 2021, while with other sectors, we're seeing that valuations have come down uh, 10 to 20% at the C stage. We do not think that this trend of increasing valuations would continue into 2023, but rather believe that the medium pre-money valuation for seed stage will most likely remain at the same level, maybe slightly go down a little bit. Now, taking a look at the time between rounds, um, with VCs slowing down their deployment pace and putting more emphasis on efficiency and runway, round extensions and bridge financings have increased in frequency as founders try to escape the unfavorable market conditions. And due to that, we're seeing much longer intervals between funding rounds. Whereas in the past two years, we can see that the time between funding rounds has increased by about four months across all stages, with the most significant change being observed in the later stage where the average time between Series C and Series D rounds for companies closing in Q4 of 2022 was roughly 21 months, representing a 27% increase from 16.4 months in Q1 of 2021. Moving on to fundraising. So in terms of VCs funds being raised, 
<clears throat> being raised, sorry, 2022 saw almost 770 funds close with over 160 US billion dollars raised, setting a new annual record for capital raised and marking the second consecutive year that fundraising has exceeded 150 billion US dollars. It's important to keep in mind, however, that a lot of the capital that was raised in the first half of the year, and maybe even in Q3 of 2022, was from LPs that were likely already in discussions with the VC managers prior to the downturn. With that, and the fact that Q4 only amounted to 6% of the total annual funds raised in 2022, which highlights the continued quarter over quarter downward trend in fundraising throughout the year, we may have an indication of what to expect in 2023, which we believe will go back to 2020 or even, <clears throat> or even 2019 levels in terms of fundraising volume. What's also notable is the LP shift towards more experienced managers with, emer with emerging managers accounting to only 21% of total capital raised in 2022, raising $34 billion in total, but continuing on the downward trend since 2019 in terms of short share of total capital raised, as you can see in the chart on the, on the, on the right-hand side. We expect this to further deepen in 2023 with established managers' share of the capital raised increasing. Now, looking at dry powder, we can see that a total of 55 billion US dollars were added in 2022 compared to 41 billion dollars in 2021. And despite the quarterly decreasing trend in fundraising in 2022, VCs still continue to deploy capital much slower than they are fundraising. We can also see that 40% of the dollars are coming from seed and early stage funds, marking the highest relative overhang compared to average deal size, leading to the, to the statement we mentioned earlier about the seed and early stage valuations probably staying at current levels for a while. An interesting, another interesting uh, thing to observe in 2023 will be whether these VC managers sitting on the dry powder will be supporting their existing companies that will run out of cash soon or will they make new investments to increase diversification in their funds? We believe that if we don't see the economy shifting to positive trends in the coming 12 to 18 months, dry powder levers are expected to remain high or even increase further. Now, taking a closer look at the exit environments, after three, after three very strong years of IPOs from 2019 to 2021, including a record year for 2021, the IPO window has actually closed, which led to the increase in the M&A activities share of the total exit value in 2022. Now, the recent decline in, lead, in late stage valuations offers uh, <clears throat> investment and takeover opportunities for private equity firms and corporate investors. And similar to VC funds, private equity firms have also piled up record amounts of dry powder, setting funds in an ideal position to capitalize on the attractive acquisition targets in the near future. We expect to see more and more m and activity during the second half of 2023, which will be a very good opportunity for VC fund managers if they know how to capitalize on it, especially on the emerging side, and they could start showing some realizations and DPI resulting in renewed LP appetite for VC going into 2024. Now, finally, um, as you know, VC as an asset class is driven by the power law, which means that most of a fund's return will come from a few of its portfolio companies. And the same can be said about a portfolio of funds. 
as you can see on the left-hand side, between 2005 and 2015, only 31% of VC funds were able to generate over 20% 20, 20 net IRR, with the top decile returning over 35%. So choosing the right funds becomes even more critical in a rising rate environment or a, down, <clears throat> or a downturn versus during a bull market where all the indicators were going up. So to summarize, and as a finishing um, um, comment, our recommendation to LPs allocating in the VC world would be to put in more effort in selecting and getting access to the to top core right funds in order to still meet their VC target returns, or alternatively, go with a fund of funds such as AlphaQ to be able to build a well-diversified portfolio of funds. Now, moving on to the Q&A section and handing it over to you, Stefan. Thanks, Amir. We already got a question from Andreas. Um, in the chat, uh, he asked us the data is consistent across multiple GP investment thesis, or if you see outliers in, for example, consumer tech versus deep tech versus biotech. Yeah, exactly. This is I I briefly touched on this um, on the valuation sector, right? So just as we're seeing um, uh, increased valuations for sectors such as AI. The same goes for um, fundraising and investment activity, right? Some sectors are gaining uh, more interest um, from VCs and from LPs, um, while others are seeing a decline. Um, unfortunately, the, not all of the data providers um, show this uh, breakdown in terms of specific sectors. But what we are seeing at AlphaQ, you know, from speaking with different funds, is definitely that deep tech, AI-focused funds are seeing more interest, increased interest from, um, from LPs. Um, and the same goes for um, companies or startup raising in the sector, seeing more interest versus other more traditional um, or capital intensive uh, sectors. Yeah. No, and I think from, from what, what we are seeing also, and I mean, you can talk a little bit about our own portfolio and experience there. I mean, we've now allocated to nine funds with about 80 underlying uh, companies. And I think partially our investment strategy right now, our investment strategy was always to do 50-50 emerging and established managers. Um, as this shifted, um, what is sort of your thesis now on, on sort of our next 12 months, let's say, in how we are actually allocating and planning our allocations? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, as as I have, uh, we have mentioned previously, our investment strategy um, is very much set, but it's also dynamic and uh, has to take into account the changing market environment uh, when it comes to sectors, geographies, and so on and so on. Um, so naturally, we have you know different trends that we think are going to be um, uh, the value providers uh, or the value creators in the next uh, 10 to 15 years. And we want to make sure that across our por portfolio, uh, we have exposure to these trends. We want to make sure uh, that we have exposure to specific um, types of fund managers, whether established or emerging. Uh, we, want to have, we want to make sure that we have exposure to specific uh, geographies. For example, as we have previously mentioned on LinkedIn, we are taking a closer look at the Israeli ecosystem that despite the, um, you know, slight political uh, instabilities that are going on, um, it still poses um, a lot of, um, you know, uh, option for uh, opportunity for value creation. Uh, founders are still uh, building great companies um, in different sectors and so on, especially on the deep tech side. So we are always um, um, adapting our strategy uh, to make sure that we are covering uh, these you know, specific trends, specific sectors, specific geography, geographies and so on. Yeah, no, I, 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 I obviously I agree. 
Um, but uh, also, what sorry do you to see, Jeff, but also yeah. I, I forgot to mention on the climate side, for example, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. this is a big, uh, uh, this is a big um, problem, uh, right? This isn't like a hypothetical anymore, uh, but also a big um, opportunity to both do good and do impact, but also enjoy um, outsized um, or outlier returns in terms of um, VC value creation. Uh, so that's what um, my colleague Elena has been doing uh, recently, focusing on you know identifying some of the yeah. best uh, up and coming um, climate tech focused uh, fund managers. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit in our last webinar with Nucleus Capital, or, uh, or, or yeah, it's, it was the last one. Um, when we talked about food tech and obviously uh, there are also plans for Nucleus uh, 2, the next fund, and uh, what they're doing around climate there. Uh, and we are we have uh, now done an additional manager there. And I think one core thing in the climate tech space that we have at least seen also is that over the last two years, or especially like one and a half years ago, it almost was like a hype, right? There were a lot of, um, you know, a lot of capital got raised with that story but we didn't see um, yet the best managers yeah, with really strong experience and when it comes really down to what it means to be a climate investor. Yeah? And when it comes to, it, at the end of the day, it's deep tech. Yeah? It's very, um, you need a lot of experience in that. And I think that's what we have definitely seen that the sort of funds that are raising now, they've become significantly better from a GP standpoint and from a thesis standpoint. I don't know how you see it, Amir, but I think, I mean, Alena isn't here. She's the expert on this from the team. But uh, what's your opinion on sort of the, the quality of the GPs we've seen in some of these uh, segments? Yeah, definitely, of course. Um, um, as you mentioned, we touched on it briefly on the previous uh, webinar, but what we saw on climate tech is that uh, there were many funds being raised, um, um, managers raising very large amounts of capital. Um, while the size of opportunity, you know, was, was, is proven to be big because this is a very huge problem, uh, but this is still uh, somewhat unproven um, and still like uh, early, um, uh, let's put it this way. So what we're focusing on is, you know, trying to find a little bit more experienced managers, managers that came into the field very early on that are not only just, you know, tourists, um, you know, fund managers trying to capitalize on the opportunity because there's a lot of LP interest in this specific topic because many LPs are also, uh, you know, have impact goals that they want to meet and really want to do good. But this doesn't mm. always translate to VC level returns. This is super important when evaluating a fund in any sector. Um, you know, sometimes you have to look at the impact, uh, but also make sure that you uh, will be able to uh, get back VC level uh, returns. And this is super important when evaluating such funds. Um, so you should keep in mind that uh, maybe smaller fund sizes are more favorable. Um, you know, the smaller the fund size, the higher the uh, probability to generate an outsized returns because the um, sort of like size of the opportunity is not known yet. Um, uh, so these kinds of um, aspects, we are making sure to um, look at uh, look, you know, very closely and deeply at when evaluating um, funds in specific sectors, not only climate. <clears throat> yeah, no, and I mean, what what of what the data has shown that that uh, that you presented earlier is that uh, obviously valuations have uh, mostly corrected in the in the later stages. Yeah, they rebounded a little bit, but uh, let's see how long this is. If this is a lasting trend or one off, yeah, definitely 
they've uh, in the early stage they've remained stable and even increased uh, slightly yeah i think partially this is due that also crossover funds like tiger global for example are moving further and further to earlier stages that we've uh, seen um but it's also i mean that the opportunity remains very high in early stage right the companies that are created now um will produce those huge outcomes how do you see the current um, headcount changes with big tech. Yeah, you know, every week almost there's a big announcement that uh, the GAFAs and all the sort of big companies are uh, reducing headcount. Um, is this what? What do you see, think is the impact there for the venture ecosystem? Yeah. So I think that overall, again, despite this being a very like uh, uh, tough topic, um, I see this as an opportunity for the VC ecosystem. So before the downturn many of the startups were complaining actually that they are um, you know not able to compete with the very large tech companies in terms of compensation for employees they're not they're not able to find um, engineering talent uh, for the right prices or uh, or you know with, with, with the with the right um, compensation and so on and so on so one impact that i think this will have is that there will be more talent available for startups um, at much more reasonable uh, compensation levels. That's one thing. Um, and then the next thing is that, uh, you know, many of these, um, you know, very talented employees may have been, for example, um, uh, you know, entertaining the idea of starting a company, but, you know, weren't brave enough uh, to really uh, leave the big tech companies and start their own companies. So many of them will actually uh, find this as an opportunity to start companies. Um, and this has also been the case in, in previous years uh, where we see where we saw layoffs actually create more opportunities and more startups yeah so that's I think my overall view on this um, you know specific topic I see this as an opportunity on two fronts and uh, you know no absolutely I think as a former founder you know the war for talent uh, is and was real um, if you're an early stage startup you're competing against the big guys in Berlin Zalando and 26 and all these companies they can offer significantly better packages, uh, you know, less or better work-life balances, etc. Um, so it was always very hard to to keep engineering talent, right? You were you were relocating people from other countries to Berlin. Berlin was an attractive or is an attractive location, but then a lot of these engineers were then leaving after a year or two years to join some of these bigger tech companies who were just just hiring anybody basically to just fill up. Uh, uh, and, and get more talent yeah and I think this is now changing obviously delivering huge opportunities now for early stage but it will probably take another three months to six months to fully trickle down into early stage because severance packages and kind of until people are actually ready to start new companies or join startups this will also take a couple of more months yeah. so I'm very excited until after the summer uh, for, for these transitions uh, to happen um now, I had one more question around uh, secondaries. We are obviously trying to offer investors diversification out of the box. Yeah, Very often when you invest into a VC fund directly, it takes a very long time for the fund to actually start returning. Um, we are trying to accelerate this by also buying secondaries, LP stakes and funds. Uh, what do you see in the secondary market? Last year, we looked at about 10 secondary opportunities. This year, we've almost looked at 10 already. Um, so there, I know there are a lot of them out there. What's your opinion on the on the secondary space? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Actually, just a like a small correction. I think last year we looked at uh, closer to fifteen to twenty opportunities, um, 
uh, I agree, some of them were like a little bit not relevant, um, you know, when it comes to pricing or like um, in terms of uh, secondary strategy on our side. Uh, but we see a lot of, we saw a lot of uh, deal flow on the secondary uh, side last year. Um, another increase from the beginning of this year. Uh, what is different this time around is that um, funds are starting to write down some of the um, you know, major value drivers in their um, um, financials. So the discount and the expectation gap between the seller and the buyer is uh, you know, closing uh, or narrowing. And uh, while there was a lot of deal flow on the secondary side last year, there, were, there weren't a lot of um, LP secondary transactions happening or really closing. Uh, there were some direct secondary opportunities, for example, happening, but not a lot of um, LP uh, secondary transactions. And what we think is going to happen this year is uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, secondary activity on the deal flow side, but also on the closing side. Um, you know, we, we are now looking at a couple of opportunities which have a good uh, possibility of happening. Um, and this is what we're also hearing from other um, players in the market. Um, Secondary deals are becoming more attractive. Sellers are becoming a little bit more um, maybe distressed um, or maybe more eager to sell, maybe not distressed yet, maybe more eager to sell. And I've actually started to realize that the previous 2021 valuations are not relevant and maybe don't make sense anymore and are accepting higher discounts. Uh, so we'll see an increased secondary activity um, in 2023. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, now we got a question here in the in the Q and A, um, and we can widen that question maybe generally to emerging markets. The question is specifically around how LPs and probably also especially us, how we are uh, looking at the Southeast Asian uh, VC landscape. And uh, second part of that question is if we have a preference or if there's a preference for early stage or late stage funds. Yeah, to be honest, uh, we're seeing a lot of deal flow um, in terms of uh, mostly emerging managers on the emerging market side, right? From uh, Latin America, which is a little bit more developed at the moment, uh, but also Africa, Southeast Asia, and so on. Um, we are speaking with these funds, we're building the relationships, we're getting to know the ecosystems, we're getting to know the geographies, uh, the players, and so on and so on. Um, but we're mostly focused on building our core portfolio at the moment. Um, so we're making sure that these funds are in our pipeline, that we have one or two favorites. Um, also started looking recently at the UAE and Saudi, uh, which are proving to be uh, also somewhat interesting markets, um, uh, just to make sure we have a readily available pipeline of funds that we think um, 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 are super relevant and um, you know as big as the market opportunity in these specific geographies uh, but haven't pulled the trigger yet and to the second part of your question um, uh, whether LPs are preferring late stage or early stage or late stage in these uh, specific geographies most of the deal flow we're seeing is for early stage funds we're not seeing a lot of later stage funds in these geographies many of the um, later stage capital in these geographies is either coming from um, corporate um, or strategics or from um, US um, or um, European larger um, growth stage investors, uh, but they will only sort of like um, look at 
the top, I don't know, one or two percent of the companies in these geographies. Um, but yeah, I think that in general, later stage capital is still um, not as available in uh, uh, places like and uh, geographies like Africa and maybe Southeast Asia. Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, we are very focused with the, with our uh, fund of fund. We are focused on mostly early stage and early growth funds. Yeah, because I think, uh, especially right now, if you're building a, a portfolio that is fresh, um, the, the early stage companies of today, they will be the winners of tomorrow. Like late stage right now, because of the, at least that's sort of my personal opinion. And Amir, I would love to hear your also thoughts on this. I mean, we've discussed this previously, but it's it's still... If you're now a growth investor right now, a lot of the companies that were a little bit higher valued, if you're now going in there, you need to do somehow structured rounds, yeah, or somehow have lick preps or some sort of structuring in there, because it's going to be very, very hard to keep the equity story uh, growing linear. Uh, and that usually as a founder, I know by myself, like as soon as you start uh, tweaking the terms and start kind of structuring rounds, and the equity story doesn't become so so sexy anymore. It starts to become very, very difficult usually to then raise follow-on rounds, incentivize the team, incentivize early investors who are usually the ones that are helping you to get there. And so there are multiple like issues around this. Um, and that's why we like this sort of plain vanilla early stage space where it's usually very kind of, you know, there's it's it's logical what is happening there. And the companies are um, um especially in the deep tech space, or especially now the founder quality overall in the in the spaces we've invested in the US, Israel, and Europe is so high that they are always looking to, uh, you know, generate revenues, their unit economic uh, positive very, very early, these companies. So it's, it's, it's a much more cleaner way to invest, I think, uh, into early stage than later stage right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree in general. I mean, um, as you mentioned, our strategy is currently to focus on early um, um, seed stage, even and sometimes um, early growth, um, which is you know good for our um, in early liquidity um, option to make sure we we build a healthy uh, portfolio. Late stage at the moment, or growth, or late stage at the moment is a little bit uh, tough. Uh, there aren't a lot of opportunities. Many of the late stage or growth stage funds are either mostly focusing on sort of like. Uh, supporting their existing portfolio companies to make sure they make it through this, the, the current downturn um, and, uh, you know, stay uh, sort of like have enough cash until the exit markets reopen, the IPO markets uh, reopen again. Uh, so not a lot of growth stage companies are being funded. Um, only the top, as you mentioned, the top companies with the best unit economics, uh, with the best um, founding teams and so on are being funded. Uh, most of the later stage um, funds are, um, um, you know, taking a step back, uh, focusing on their existing portfolio companies um, to make sure that they will be able to, you know, generate enough returns um, in the funds that they have raised in the last uh, couple of years. So they will be also stay relevant um, uh, going forward. Uh, so definitely the early stage is still very active, not as active as, as, as 2021, but as I mentioned, Many micro stage funds were raised, so they're still very active in these uh, uh, stages. Um, many of the funds you also mentioned uh, that are multi-stage are also going a bit um, earlier, um, staying, you know, as far as possible from the 
um, exit um, opportunity. And uh, yeah, let's see what happens uh, in the next uh, year. As I mentioned, I think that the, the second half of the year is going to present some uh, M&A activity, right? Uh, mainly uh, from private equity firms, maybe some corporate investors. And I think that this will revive uh, the VC um, um, industry and, you know, um, get back some LP appetite. Yeah. Uh, we had another question here in the chat. If you think that the trend to invest into AI uh, startups will sort of continue, or do you think it will cool down towards the second half of the year? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, you know, as with crypto, as with AR, VR, we saw a lot of these trends come and go. Um, but, you know, maybe not crypto just like but blockchain in general right the underlying technology itself many of these underlying technologies uh where uh, even quantum right uh, many of these uh, uh, underlying technologies uh, have been around for many years right ai quantum uh maybe could argue uh blockchain but also arvr have been around for many many years but the use case uh hasn't been found yet the mass adoption hasn't been found yet what I think uh, is different this time around with AI is that you can see the impact and the change that chat GPT has had on many, many, many of our lives, right? And you see the, uh, you know, massive opportunity that's lying here uh, when they think about starting to monetize and how big this could become and how a major part of this, uh, of our life, this could become. So I think that AI, the, the promise for the next sort of like uh, technological breakdown, okay, just like with cloud 15 or 20 years ago, um, a little bit more, um, um, AI is going to be the next technological breakthrough that's going to generate, uh, um, you know, the next wave of innovation, the next wave of the, the you know, Google, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, and so on. Um, so I think it's going to uh, the, the the trend of AI is is, is not going to cool down. This is you know my personal belief because I think that this time around it's different. Um, you know, mass adoption and use case look much closer um, than, for example, uh, uh, we had with blockchain and crypto last uh, the last couple of years and so on. Again, same with AR VR. It's been around for many many years, but the use case the the use case sorry uh, the mass adoption the 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 platform that will be used by everybody still has hasn't been developed yet. It might happen soon, but I think AI um, is, is much closer um, than AR, VR or blockchain. Yeah, I 100% yeah, agree. I think we will see huge adoption of AI technologies applied to, to all kinds of use cases. Um, and ChatGPT is like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, there are hundreds of uh, uh, companies out there. Uh, and it's super exciting and it's it's far more realistic than the metaverse or some of these things that are uh, still further away, I would say. Uh, and let's see if they become reality. Um, we have three more questions. Let's try to answer them relatively quickly so we can stay in time. Uh, one question here was how uh, will the current market downturn uh, impact VC fund performances? Yeah, so I think there, I mean, this is a multi-layered question, obviously, because what, which fund performance are we talking about, right? I think when you look at the dry powder that was generated over the last two, three years in the sort of bubble or in the hype phase, which is always the time uh, every LP is super excited about the market and throws money at funds. Um, maybe these fund vintages might not turn out to be the best vintages overall. Um, but yeah, overall right now, I think in the next couple of years, um, these will highly likely be the best vintages now historically, at least if we look at the last 30 years of, of VC data. 
Actually, uh, exactly. Sorry, this is a, a relative question, right? Uh, uh, how will this impact performance on 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 which uh, vintage years? Um, and to try to break this down and answer, you know, in, in the short time span that we have, um, I, I think that you know naturally the last couple of years, maybe twenty twenty one, the, the, it's not going to be, uh, uh, you know, th these aren't going to be the best vintage years around, right? Uh, the funds that were raised were very big. The valuations that these funds invested at were very high. Um, so unless we go back to the revenue multiples that we had in 2021 on the public markets, I don't see these funds really generating uh, very, very high returns. Uh, again, there's always outliers, right? There's always the more disciplined funds. They're always the top quartile funds. Uh, but in general, I think that the median is not going to be as high as previous years. Um, and thinking about the uh, uh, like 2022, 2023, I think that again, as with historical data, as as has historical data shown, um, recession or downturn years, sorry, uh, are some of the best vintages, right? As you mentioned, layoffs create opportunities, prices go down, um, 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 fund sizes go down, and so on. So I think that 2022, 2023 are going to be very, very good. Uh, vintages going forward we will know that in 10 years but let's see uh, but let's one last thing to mention a lot of the performance um, um, you know uh, in, in, uh, that VC has generated in the last few years it's only on paper right so the question now is how many of these funds are going to be able to translate this uh, performance into cash um, and I think this this some of it has been uh, translated uh, during the you know IPO SPAC M&A activity that we saw in 2021. Uh, but I think that M&A will be a major driver for uh, realizations and distributions um, in the next year or so, 12 to 18 months. Let's put it this way. Um, uh, so I think some of it um, will be uh, translated, but you know, naturally not not all of it. Yeah, I mean M&A is right now the only. <laughs> The only realistic uh, uh, exit opportunity, yeah. IPO markets are not really happening. I know that in Europe, there's a little bit of discussions we hear of investment banks trying to pre-market uh, some IPOs that might happen. But let's see. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still kind of skeptical that the IPO window will open up again. Um, but let's see. Yeah, I think um, overall we are very bullish. Our portfolio is looking extremely healthy. And uh, we've only started investing last year. So our vintages the, of the underlying funds are, are you know, are very current. Yeah? And this is a big advantage to build, build our portfolio right now versus having started like two, three years ago and, and kind of starting at the peak, right? We, we are kind of, uh, you could say it's all strategy, but maybe we are also lucky. Yeah? So I don't know. Um, yeah, but also one more question to add yeah. on that, sorry. Yeah, one thing to add on that also, it, you know, it goes back to selection as well, right? You can agree with me that uh, um, the fund managers that we have selected are very disciplined and very yes. uh, wary of the, of the capital that they're deploying, which is also a very important uh, part of this, uh, uh, you know, whole story, uh, because some of the valuations are still are still high, but the managers we, yeah. we selected uh, were very careful uh, with their capital. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's about discipline, right? It's it's really if you are if you you know our job is really professional, sophisticated allocators, right? We are an institutional player. Um, we we are not investing in hype. We're not trying to jump on the bandwagon, right? Other LPs are doing this, and this is for us not that relevant. We we need to take our time, and this is also sometimes the reason why you know we can't get back to all the funds that reach out to us uh, very quickly. And there's always a big pipeline we have to manage. 
and the expectations. But overall, I think we are uh, with, with being disciplined. I think this is exactly the right approach. Um, maybe leading to a final question here. This is um, a little bit about the climate tech uh, interest that we are seeing, and that also we personally and with 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 AQVC we are following. What's mm -hmm. our take on transition technologies, decarbonization of industrial processes, alternatives to plastic like new materials or food systems? I mean, food systems. We already have a, a food tech focused fund in the portfolio, but uh, probably the other areas are more. Um, I don't know, Ami, how do you see that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. There are many subsectors um, yeah. within climate tech, right? Um, I, I would say we're not focusing on one specific subsector. Um, 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 you know, my, my colleague Alena would, would very much uh, uh, be happy to answer such a question. She's uh, an expert in the field, uh, I would say. Uh, but what we're looking for, I think, in a fund manager, right, is when we are evaluating a fund manager in the climate tech space, we want to make sure that they are, for example, measuring the impact that their uh, investments have, but also, as I mentioned earlier, um, are in this uh, to be able to generate outsized returns as a VC fund. And I think the other thing that's uh, very important is that how sort of like um, experienced or how much expertise or depth of networks that they have in the climate tech sector. Many of the, you know, we're not climate tech super experts or scientists, but we were very much able to identify whether the fund manager we are speaking with, um, uh, you know, was able to, uh, is, is able to understand the different, uh, you know, uh, subsectors or technologies within, within climate tech. Uh, this yes. you know was very easy to identify, and then when we decided to go deeper into the uh, due diligence, we sometimes even used experts to try to evaluate whether these managers really understand climate and really understand uh, the you know size of the opportunities that they're investing in. Yeah, um, I think we're now a little bit uh, four minutes over time, so unfortunately we we couldn't answer all questions, um, but hopefully most we actually answered i think during the during the text we'll we'll publish the recording afterwards so um hopefully this was helpful to everybody um please uh, send your feedback to us we would love to hear from you also if you have any suggestions for further topics for our uh, webinar we can do a climate tech deep dive as if that topic is very relevant uh, then alena would uh, would join us she's really the expert from our team uh, for climate tech uh, but we can also do more deep dives on on other sectors like emerging markets. We had some questions uh, regarding that. We are very excited about emerging markets overall right now. We believe that uh, Silicon Valley overall and the, the 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 American way of doing venture capital is now being more and more democratized over the last years. And so you're seeing great funds uh, working like a Silicon Valley fund all over the world, right? And this I think is very exciting to us uh, from from building our portfolio also. Um, so thanks a lot, Amir, uh, for, for the great content. And thanks a lot, everybody, for your great questions and joining us. Have a wonderful day. See you soon. Thanks, Stefan. Thank you, everyone.